Our scripture this morning is Acts chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. I'm actually going to focus mostly on one verse, Acts 4, 13. As we've been building this series, this is one of the verses that I wanted to get to that's one of the most important verses in this chapter. But for the sake of context, I think it fits to read this with, chap- with uh, verse 14 as well. Here it is. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Uh, We're going to pray for a moment, and uh, one thing I wanted to make you aware of, I'm not sure how many of you remember uh, Tammy Luther, Dr. Tammy Luther, was a psychologist, lived in Hyannis drove up here for 20 years every Sunday to be part of North River, uh, co-taught our 301 class with Gloria Fisher, but uh, Tammy died uh, last week, and I was just uh, made aware of that over the weekend, and uh, she had moved down to Connecticut to take care of her elderly parents, and she got a fast, aggressive cancer that that took her, and uh, so I'm going to mention her family as well as we pray this morning. Father, thank you for the way that you lead in our lives, the way that you create opportunities for us to advance and at other times to retreat, and the way that we think about spiritual growth and the the movements of life and when we need to be aggressive in moving forward and when we need rest and to take a step back and to rethink and recalculate. I pray that as we are in this fall season that you will continue to expand our capacity to understand who you want us to be and how much you are for us as a group of people and how your spirit works in us. Thank you for walking with us in every season of life. And we pray that you will continue to bolster up those who are going through challenging times right now, whether that's because of physical ailments or pressure at work or some other tension. We pray that you will walk with us and grant us wisdom. We also pray that you will ride with us in those moments when we are, we are full of your presence and we, when we are going through the seasons of life that are full of joy, allow us to give praise to you in those moments and to recognize you. Lord, we pray for Tammy's family as they uh, say goodbye to her over this weekend and as they put her to rest. Thank you for her life, for her contributions here to North River, and thank you for the way that you used her gifts and her talents and her commitment here. Lord, guide each and every one of us. My simple prayer this morning as we close this time is that you will make us more like Jesus and that you will cause our services to be times when we have met you, when we have drawn near to you, that catapult us through the week. It's in Jesus' mighty name we approach you at your very throne. Amen. Who are the mentors in your life. When you think back, who are the people who gave you a chance, who invested in you or trained you, or left a very strong and clear mark on you? About two weeks ago, I was invited to do an interview with Dr. Danny Yamashiro, who was one of the chaplains at MIT, and Danny heard me speak at a men's event in Boston and then asked me to do an interview with him on his radio program that's called The Good Life with Dr. Danny. And it it airs on Monday to Friday at uh, 6 p.m. on WEZE Radio. 
At one point, Danny asked me a question that I, I didn't see coming. He said, who are the mentors in your life? Who left their mark on your preaching and teaching? I thought for a second, and then I mentioned three people who probably had the greatest impact on what I do professionally. Uh, Douglas Ald was the pastor of the church where I grew up, and he had a 25-year ministry in Weymouth that spanned from the year before I was born until about six months uh, from when I finished my, my master's degree in grad school. He was a remarkably consistent Bible teacher who taught with enthusiasm and always knew how to end on time. He, he was like a clock. It, it seemed like no matter where he was on in the midst of his sermon, when the, the clock hit 12 on Sunday morning, he was done. And, and it was fa fantastic. Rick Warren from Saddleback Church is another. I took one of Rick's preaching seminars twice. It was so good I had to go through it a second time and just to let it soak in. And he stressed the importance of building practical application all throughout a, a, a message, not just waiting until the end. And the third was Dr. Haddon Robinson, who was the president of Denver Seminary when I attended there in the early 1980s. Haddon taught two decades of young preachers at, Den at Dallas Seminary, and then he moved to Denver Seminary where he was the president for 12 years, and later he taught in a doctoral program at Gordon-Conwell up on the North Shore. During those Denver years, Haddon handpicked 10 senior students every year, and he worked with them in an advanced preaching course. Now, with this particular course, you couldn't apply for it. They, they were hand-selected, and he chose who was in it. And I had the privilege of being a part of the 10 that he chose during that year. The main contribution in Haddon's concept for preaching was the, the big idea, meaning that in order to be effective, every biblical sermon needs to have one key foundational idea that holds the whole thing together. His theory was that people in church have listened, listened to far too many sermons that are structurally scattered and that most people only remember one key idea from any talk that a pastor gives, no matter how many hours you put into preparing it. So the big idea concept was designed to keep pastors on point and to make the main point of the message something that is memorable and even repeatable. Anyone who's been here for very long will hopefully realize that part of what I've been doing for 33 years at North River is presenting one big idea every single week. And you are the people who know when I do that well or when I do that poorly and when that big idea is memorable or when it's completely forgettable, which means that I failed on that day. Here's my question for you. Who are the mentors in your life? Who has taught you and who has left their mark on you in a positive way, especially when you are thinking about your faith development? What names come to mind? And is their impact on your life something that is becoming evident to others? Now maybe we can talk about that in the time after the service and we, we can catch up on that idea. Here's why I just asked that question. One of the greatest compliments ever given to a Christian actually comes from critics of Christianity found in Acts 4.13 when a member of the Sanhedrin said this about Peter and John, they've been with Jesus. This morning is part five of Faith Explosion, a series that is looking at principles that contributed to the spread of Christian faith in the earliest years of the Christian church. And today's topic is, they've been with Jesus. Welcome to North River here this morning. I'm glad that you're here. We like to think of North River Church as a group of people who are together creating a safe place for our friends to discover 
and to ask important questions about Jesus. Thank you for helping us do that. Let's keep doing this together. And I want to welcome everybody who's here in the house and also I want to equally welcome those who are watching online this morning. Perhaps you are checking out North River for the first time and and so we're glad that you are doing so. Perhaps you're watching from home today and there was something that, that kept you at home rather than being with us or you're watching from another state where you now live. Wonderful. I'm glad that you are still connected with us and I want to welcome you. Now, there are three ways that you can connect with us. The first, if you're here at North River, there is a QR code on the chair in front of you. If you take the scanner app on your phone and you scan that in, it'll open up a a connection card that you can fill out online, and, and that ends up on my desk. If you're watching online, you can go to our website, northriverchurch.org forward slash visit, and a connection card will drop down. Or you can go to the Welcome Center here out in our lobby and you can ask for a physical connection card and uh, they'll give you one. And, and those all end up on my desk and we begin the conversation. So I ask this question, who is, who is if I ask it in a different way, who has had the biggest impact on your spiritual development so far? Who has mentored you? This morning we're going to talk about some benefits of spending time with Jesus. The mentor that these early disciples would have pointed to was Jesus himself. Here's the big idea that I want to test out with you this morning. Spending time with Jesus will embolden you and astonish others. Spending time with Jesus will embolden you in the way that you live out your faith, but it will astonish others in terms of what they learn about you the more you spend time with Jesus. Here's the first observation from, the, all of this is coming from one verse, Acts 4.13. Spending time with Jesus can expand your courage. Notice the way that this verse begins. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. I underlined the, the word when they saw the courage or the phrase when they saw the courage in the physical notes this morning if you have those Did you notice who was observing this courage found in Peter and John? Over the past few weeks, we have been extracting nuggets from Acts chapter 3 and 4, which are really all one story. We've seen that their act of mercy in healing a man who was born lame brought Peter and John into hot water with the Jewish ruling council of Jerusalem. So it starts off with the healing in chapter 3 and then it moves through this sermon that Peter gives on the streets of Jerusalem and then the confrontation that comes with the ruling council right after. The ruling council was also known as the Sanhedrin. We unpacked this a little bit last Sunday. It had 71 members, mostly people who were very well educated, wealthy and politically connected men. More than half of them were from the party of the Sadducees, a faction of first century Jews who did not believe that God gets directly involved in our lives. They didn't believe that there were any miracles, no angels, no heaven, no hell, and that there was no possibility of people being resurrected from the dead. So, when these Sadducees heard Peter and John claiming that the man that they had found their lame sitting at the entrance to the temple had now been healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom God had raised from the grave, they went into rapid VOM, viewpoint opposition mode. They wanted to shut down what Peter and John were doing. Now, these Sadducees had two main tactics that they employed against Peter and John. 
The first was to try and silence them. They forbade them from speaking in Jesus' name. And the second was intimidation. They threw Peter and John in jail. And then they called out the full roster of the Sanhedrin for an impromptu trial at the temple courts the next day. That's part of what we saw last Sunday. Now, around the world, these two major tactics are still employed against Christians today. For instance, in China today, Christians who attend any church that is not a part of the officially state-sanctioned three-self church, that's what it's known as, risk being blacklisted, arrested, and often imprisoned for actions that are deemed to be a threat against the state. What was the threat? They showed up in a church, they worshiped Jesus, they read from the Bible, they heard a pastor teach, but it wasn't sanctioned by the state. Just before the Olympic Games, the most recent ones that were in China, hundreds of churches were bulldozed and pastors were jailed because they didn't want them witnessing on the streets to the crowds of people from all these other nations. And this was both a form of silencing and intimidation all at the same time. If you go to opendoorsusa.org, it tells the story this week of Tahir, who became a Christian in Iran. His family has been part of a small underground church that has to meet in secret. One day, he was called at work to come home quickly, and his wife sounded distressed. When he got home, he was quickly arrested by Iran's secret police. Again, here's the, the tactics of silencing and intimidating Christians in order to make them go away. Open Doors also tells the story of Pastor Marcus in Nigeria. His people have been harassed, kidnapped, and had churches and homes burned down by the Boko Haram extremists. Do you know what Boko Haram actually means? Western education is not allowed. So it's an affront not just on people who are not Islamic, but on anybody who represents a different philosophy of life. People fled, yet Marcus returned. And he wrote that the the churches are are filling up again now and that they consider it an honor to suffer for Jesus. The people who are meeting in these churches have often lost the husband of the family or a husband and the oldest son. Some of the young women have been carried off and married off to these men from Boko Haram. But what they've noticed is as the persecution continues, the gospel spreads and the church continues to grow even more. It's an amazing reality that God emboldens these people. Spending time with Jesus can expand your courage for whatever it is that God leads you to do in life. Here's a second observation, again, just from this one verse. Handling Scripture like Jesus will set you apart. So notice what what it says as they go on. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled. This time I underlined the word unschooled. Ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Okay, what were these religious leaders who were opposing Peter and John, what were they actually saying here in this part of this verse? One of the things that impressed them was the the way that Peter and John rooted their teaching in the Scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament Scriptures at that time, the Jewish Scriptures, even though they had not been schooled or educated by the rabbis. Peter and John had something better. They were taught by Jesus himself. Let me say that again. They were taught by Jesus himself. Notice the phrase, they had been with Jesus. This has to be one of our top goals for us as Christians. Not that you spent X many hours or X many services here being taught by Paul Atwater or Todd Shimshak or anybody else. Ultimately, 
If we are doing our job, we're taking you to Jesus, we're taking you into the Scriptures where you are analyzing the Scriptures for yourself and you are mastering the words and the teaching of Jesus. Because it is when you are taught by Jesus through ordinary human beings like us, that is when the Bible comes alive for you. That is when the principles get lit on fire inside of you and they really take hold. Does that make sense to you? We want to be taught by Jesus above anybody else. When we take a closer look at the teaching of Jesus, we see that he often stumped the Pharisees and the other religious leaders who would confront him by revealing Old Testament scriptures that they had ignored. The truths and the principles were there all along. So the example in Peter's speech that we've looked at in Acts chapter 3, if you have a Bible you can go back and look at that, comes from when Peter quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. There's one line from that psalm that Peter quotes. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus had quoted this same verse from Psalm 118 when he was confronted over his authority on the day that he cleared the temple. And so the disciples were following the model of Jesus and they were going back to this same principle which basically is saying Jesus is the cornerstone of everything that God was doing and that the leaders of their day had rejected this particular stone, this particular cornerstone and they'd ignored it. So he's making the case, Peter's making the same case that Jesus had already made. And what Peter is showing us was that the disciples understood how the prophets, the psalm writers, and all the patriarchs, fancy old word for the people in Moses and Abraham's day, how all the patriarchs all pointed to prophecies in Jesus that were, or prophecies in the scriptures that were fulfilled in Jesus. They pointed to how Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one of God. Look at what we learn about how Jesus taught the disciples. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. This is after Jesus had risen from the grave. He spent 40 years, uh, 40 days with them. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So here Luke is writing about what Jesus did during, during those 40 days. He appeared at a number of different times and places and he taught the disciples, taking them back to the Old Testament scriptures, showing them all of what the scriptures told about himself. This was 40 days of graduate level instruction from Jesus. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, on the same day that Jesus was raised from the dead, so this would have been Easter Sunday afternoon, He's walking on a road toward Emmaus with two disciples who are downtrodden. Their heads are down. They're walking along the road. They see this uh, person that they hadn't recognized. They invite him to walk with them. And as they're walking, this is what it says. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Only later on, after they convinced him to stop and have a meal with them, and as he's breaking bread, did they realize that this was Jesus himself. So here are these unnamed disciples. We're not sure who they were. They were being taught by Jesus. It's no wonder that the teaching of the earliest church was absolutely on fire because their instruction had come directly from him both during the earthly ministry days and after the resurrection where his graduate level teaching became even more intense. 
If we went through all of the conflicts that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we would find that he so often showed them how they had missed so much about God's plans that had been revealed in the Jewish scriptures. His normal point was not just to say, I'm more important than you, but to go back to the Jewish scriptures and to point out those principles and raise them and say, please explain to me what this means. It was his way of saying, you've missed some of the main points. Here's the point in telling you this. Spending time with Jesus brought about a knowledge of God's truth that amazed the people who were supposed to be the experts. It turned them on their heads that these unschooled, ordinary men knew the Old Testament scriptures better than they did, knew the principles that were hidden in plain sight for all of those years better than they did. And I believe that God can do that in you and me too today. And that Jesus is at work trying to do that in you and me today. Now, we can't go back and sit at the feet of Jesus in exactly the same way that the original disciples did. We can't get into his physical presence and sit on the mountain and hear the Sermon on the Mount. But in another sense, we have an advantage over them. We have the scriptures in print. We have the teaching of Jesus in print, in our own language, in a way that you can own and carry around and mine out. Author John Maxwell often says, spend an hour a day on any topic for five years and you will become an expert. You can become an expert on the teaching of Jesus and it's not that hard. Add to that the realization that many people long to understand the wisdom of God. There are principles there that can set them free. There are truths about God's grace that can literally change the way people see life and themselves and God. Extraordinary possibilities open up when you master the teaching of Jesus and the message of God's life-changing invitation to people who are lost and confused by our culture and by their own fears or their own addictions or their own shortfalls in life. Now, this challenge fits our vision for North River. Our vision statement for North River reads this way, people forever changed by, by God's love and daily changing the South Shore and beyond for Jesus. How do you start this process of being changed by God's love if you've never done something like this before? I'd like to give you some very simple steps. Perhaps you're a beginner and you have never taken on the challenge of really diving deeply into the Bible. So here's step one. Our growth track that Christy mentioned a few minutes ago has a 201 class. You can start that challenge there. You'll learn some basic skills in regard to reading and understanding the Bible that will begin to unlock the Bible for you. If you haven't taken that class and you want to understand the Bible more deeply and understand some basic skills for approaching the Bible, start there. Step two, get on a reading plan. You may not realize it, but most likely you already have access to several Bible reading plans on your phone. Take out your phone if you have one. I want you to hold it up. I'm serious. Take out your phone. I'm going to hold up mine too. On your, if, on your uh, phone, if you were to uh, open up to your apps, perhaps you have one. I have one at the top. It's the little Bible symbol on there. Do you know where that came from if you have one? Do you have a Bible app on your phone? Most of the time, they come standard with your phone, so it's there in the first few apps. If not, you can just uh, go to your app module and, and put in Bible and when the one comes up that has the little brown Bible on there, that is the U Bible app. 
It started through one particular church, Life Church in Oklahoma City. And they had some people who were very savvy as the apps on phones were just, just starting a number of years ago. And so the pastor of the church said, could you develop an app for our people so that people could have the convenience of reading their Bible in their phone? What we can do is we'll have the Bible in every pocket or every purse at all times. So there are a bunch of these folks that set to work on that, and they created the U Bible. It was designed for one church. When it rolled out, they realized, this is so good, we can't keep this to ourselves. And so that pastor, Craig Grushell, went to a number of people who were in the business world and said, I have a project for you. I think we should give this away so that any person who wants to can have this on their phone for free and be able to read the Bible at any time. All right, ratchet forward a number of years later. Every day, there are a half a billion people who use that app on their phone all over the world. A half a billion people. And there are all kinds of reading plans. If you were to check it out and go on to your Bible app, you'll find that if you go down to a section that says New to Faith on that app, uh, once you open it up, there are several options for great Bible studies that start. And if you're very new to Christian faith, pick one of those. Pick any one of them, and you, you'll start to gain some uh, basic principles that can help you take forward steps. If you scroll down again, you'll find one that says, Through the Bible. And it has several whole Bible plans so that you can read through the Bible in a year. You would accomplish a major goal that most people have in life to read through the Bible at least once. And here's a plan with the phone that's already in your pocket that will help guide you to do that in one year. We could be sitting here a year from today and have a number of people here for the first time in their lives who have read through the entire Bible in a year. And if you do that, you're on your way little by little toward becoming an expert in the teaching of Jesus. All right, here's what we're getting at. Spending time with Jesus will embolden you and it will astonish others. Part of that astonishment is with what you know that most people long to know and understand. Here's the third principle that comes out of this verse. Spending time with Jesus creates extraordinary people. This might be the most controversial observation. Look around you. Who do you see? Look around you in this room. Who do you see? I see a group of extraordinary people who are all in process, who are all in some stage of development where God has already told us what his goal is. His goal isn't to make you a little bit more Christian. His goal isn't to make you think a little bit more Christian-like. His goal is to conform each and every one of us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his goal. So, whenever you see something that is beautiful, something that is wise, something that is attractive in Jesus, that's what he wants to do inside of each and every one of us. While keeping the part of you that makes you you, uniquely you intact, he wants to give you the mind of Christ and the heart of Christ that infuses the way that you think, the way that you talk, the way that we go about everything that we do every single day. God's goal is huge. It's monumental. It's to put the heart and mind of Jesus inside each and every one of us, as if to say, not that we're all going to be Jesus, but there are these people who are beginning to think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, treat other people like Jesus, who are set loose all around the planet every single day. Look at what we've seen so far. 
They were astonished at the courage they found in Peter and John. They were astonished that these unschooled men were not easily silenced or intimidated, and they handled the Scriptures in a way that confounded the religious leaders. The only defining reason they could come up with was that these men had been with Jesus. We read that verse one more time, and there's one more word that jumps out at me. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know what would be awesome to hear about the people of North River Church over time? Meeting people who didn't know me for for very long or maybe for the first time and they say, oh, I've met some people from North River. They've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. They have Jesus all over them. When they speak, the words of Jesus flow out. When they speak, it's as if Jesus was treating me this way. That's God's goal. Not that these people have a great pastor or a great pastoral team, but these people have spent time with Jesus. Not that these people have an inspiring worship team. We do. But that these people know Jesus who are leading us in worship. And now we see the third benefit. Spending time with Jesus moved them from ordinary to having extraordinary impact. Why extraordinary? Reason number one, there was a formerly lame man, this is where verse 14 kicks in, who was jumping and praising God and they couldn't ignore him. They might have been tempted to write off these disciples, but the evidence of what had been done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth Nazareth was standing there jumping and praising God and they couldn't get over the fact that here's this guy that they had all seen for years, day after day, having to be carried to the temple courts begging for his survival who was now standing and jumping and leaping and praising God publicly. They couldn't ignore the physical evidence of what had been done in the name of Jesus. And they looked over at Peter and John and they say, these are ordinary men. All they did was speak in the name or in the authority of Jesus. And thousands of people were already told that there were now more than 5,000 were putting their faith in Jesus because of their combined testimony, the testimony of the disciples, the testimony of people who had been touched by Jesus. Ordinary carpenters and fishermen and tax collectors were no longer seen as ordinary because They had spent time with the Lord and that time with the Lord made them anything but ordinary. I believe that the more time that you spend in Jesus, you become anything but ordinary. Now, here's the nasty question. Is this a hope that God still fulfills or is this just an observation from the past? Is this something that God still does today? Is this a promise that God keeps today? A few minutes ago, we had Derek Churchill up here. He didn't know that I'm going to say this. I didn't tell him. But more than 10 years ago, 12 years ago now, Derek got the idea about starting a men's ministry. He started meeting with our associate pastor at the time, Dennis Keith, for more than a year, and they were honing this idea. And then he came up with the name Guy Wire. It comes from sailing, from sailboats. And his, his thought was just like the mast needs a guy wire that holds it up straight. To walk through life, guys need guy wires in life. Other men who, who hold them accountable and who hold each other up. 
Today there are men from several churches who are involved in GuyWire. GuyWire has a seat of the table with the largest national parks ministry in the country. Dozens and dozens of men from our church and from other churches now have gone on these epic hikes with life-changing results. Now let me ask you, is this ordinary? I don't think so. I don't think so. About seven years ago, a guy named Luke Schriefer was leading our global outreach team. Luke was a 20-something shop teacher at Silver Lake High School. He proposed the idea of changing the, the team's name to its initials instead of global outreach to go. And he said, we're still about global outreach, but we shouldn't be all about the international global part of this. We should be a group of people who are going and we are demonstrating our faith in ways that are very practical and evident. The team bought into that idea. They brought it to the overseers. We said, great, great idea. Go with it. Let's see what God does. Then they raised another idea. What if we chose one day when the whole church went out to serve our neighbors and we got our hands dirty? Show them God's love in action. And now for somewhere six or seven years in a row, North River's big, events is, big event is one of the days that we all look forward to. Now, I have to ask you, is this ordinary that God does that through a high school shop teacher? I don't think so. One more. Two years ago, during the height of the COVID-19 epidemic, Emily and Max Colson came up with an idea about painting hearts. You have heard this story. It's been around for a while. Emily needed to keep Max occupied, and Max decided what to paint, and that would be hearts. Emily came up with the idea of painting on yard signs with, with those simple wire flames that you could stick in any yard. Max decided where they should go, all kinds of fun places and odd places and surprising places. And soon, Max's hearts popped up all over the South Shore. That led to a feature on Channel 5's Chronicle and then to art exhibits on both coasts to a line of note cards and heart clothing that was packaged by people who, like Max, have a unique mixture of love and autism that have brought this joy from Boston to Ukraine. Please tell me, is this ordinary? No. no. So here's the idea that we're testing this morning. Spending time with Jesus will embolden you and astonish others again and again and again. Let's see what God does with this one verse as we live it out. Amen? Amen. Father God, thank you for this wonderful congregation that dares to believe that the ideas and concepts and principles of Scripture are not just for the past but that they are for today. Lead us through your Holy Spirit. Lead us through the wisdom of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen.